0: So welcome to the West Peak Startup Podcast, John Brennan here today and I'm talking to my colleague Helena Dean about EU funding for startups, scale-ups and SMEs in general. Hi Helena, how are you?
1: I'm not too bad John, thanks Thanks for having me on this topic.
0: No problem, we've been planning this for a while so it's good to finally put put, put some shape on it. So listen Helena, Helena there's, there's a myriad of EU funds available for startups, scale-ups and SMEs. And, and really, we could devote hours to a discussion on the range of funds available. What, I, what I'd like to discuss uh, today and focus on with you is the funding which is directly channeled towards companies, startup companies, and scale ups um, across the EU. Could you give our listeners an overview of some of the main EU funding programs available?
1: Certainly, John. So, as, as, as you mentioned, this is a very uh, complex landscape and there are indeed very many opportunities in which an SME or indeed a startup can participate. But in terms of the most, uh, I suppose, attainable and often most relevant funding opportunities, these are in the area of uh, research, development and innovation in, in, in general. And the majority of these funding opportunities that are related to this area are in the current uh, Horizon 2020 programme and also some um, opportunities in, in the area of um, uh, Cosme funding programme, uh, the Interreg funding programmes and uh, the so-called uh, EIT uh, Kicks. Uh, so, so there's definitely, definitely a, a lot of different opportunities um, to be availed of and this can range um, from um, anywhere from a few thousand euro to a few million um, euro, so very exciting opportunities.
0: companies apply as individual companies or do they apply as, as part of a consortium or how does it generally work?
1: So in general um, the collaboration element is encouraged uh, through many funding opportunities so I would say if I had to um, put a ratio on it I would say that roughly three quarters of um, these opportunities are collaborative and about one quarter um, are open to companies to apply in their own right. But this is also based a lot on the assumption that for a lot of the uh, higher end innovations or more uh, sort of uh, breakthrough type, disruptive type innovation, a lot of the times a company has to look outside itself for uh, specific skills for uh, access to specific infrastructure, or for uh, uh, access to a specific type of capability that they may not have in-house.
0: Is is the funding provided by the EU as a grant, or, or do they seek equity in the companies?
1: So this is uh, I suppose the good news for the companies that the majority of the funding that is available is indeed non-equity and this is very interesting to startups uh, in particular who might be on an investment journey and are not necessarily looking to um, dilute their uh, shareholder uh, shareholding And uh, as I said, uh, these funding opportunities do range to quite significant sums, as I said, often hundreds of thousands of euro and millions of euro for which can be, you know, a game changer uh, for a company. So the fact that it's non-equity is a valuable added bonus. Um, and also uh, that the uh, funding uh, proportion um, is also quite attractive. So uh, generally ranging anywhere between 70% and 100% uh, of funding, including also an element for um, overhead costs. So it's a truly, truly uh, uh, fantastic uh, opportunity in for many different reasons.
0: And presumably what the, what the EU are looking for are very innovative um, business proposals, um, particularly if they're given a significant amount of funding to the companies. Is, is that the case?
1: I would say yes, in a lot of areas. But that is not to say that there are not opportunities also for uh, perhaps more mainstream activities. There is really such a rich range and variety of programs out there. So some are looking at perhaps more traditional sectors, so tourism, for example, and some are looking at very high, um, highly science orientated type of projects. You know. Um, and and things like smart and advanced manufacturing and digital. But there is, I believe, something for everyone, and it's just a case of um, navigating the funding landscape um, effectively. And it is a very, because, as as I said, there are so many opportunities, and which are very attractive from the funding point of view, as far as grants go, that obviously it is very competitive.
0: Okay, and what, one of the things, um, one of the concepts that the EU use in the, in the context of funding is is this concept called TRL, which is the technology readiness level. Can you explain what that means and how it applies to companies?
1: So yes, the TRL ladder is very um, a signif- significant feature of, of a lot of funds. So the stage of Technological Readiness that you are at will determine which funding opportunities you may be eligible for. And uh, it starts with TRL zero, which is generally meant to be the ideation stage or you're at an idea stage. So that means you have not started yet with the technology development to TRL nine, which is the um, commercialization stage or market ready stage. So um, that in between you have your your basic uh, fundamental research and development, prototype development around TRL 5 and 6. And then sort of the refinement uh, and validation of operational systems that then um, leads up to being market ready. And it is very uh, important to distinguish this because uh, the earlier the stage, the higher the percentage of funding. So the earlier TRLs up to generally TRL 4 or 5 are funded up to 100% and then the more mature technologies are generally funded at a level of 70%. Um, And there are some uh, nuances here, depending on the type of funding uh, instrument, but this is sort of a rule of thumb in Horizon
0: 2020. Okay, and just to tease this out a little bit more, say some of the companies that we work with in Westpac who might be quite close to the market, they need to do a little bit of you know, additional product development type work, uh, market readiness type work, typically what TRL level would they be at?
1: So if if they already developed a technology to the level of a minimum viable product, which is a terminology that, that we often use, then that would generally be at the prototype stage. So TRL 6 and possibly uh, 7. So the important, obviously, thing to note is how do you, I know if I'm a TRL 9, if if you are generally, if you are already making sales and, you know, you're um, actively marketing the product, then you are after TRL 9. So g- generally, then you would not fall into um The realm of research development innovation grants although there may be some certain funds for example for internationalization that uh, might be applicable so as i say it's like going into an ice cream shop and there's thousands flavors of ice cream (laughs) so there's truly something for everybody at every stage but i would just say the 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 widest realm of opportunities is for RDI, so um, for, for that stage of, of development. So generally between, I would say, five and, and seven, this is where the biggest bulk of funding is.
0: Okay. And, you know, in terms of success rates, I know, I know this is a difficult question to ask or to answer because there are so many programs, but what's the general uh, success rate with EU funding applications?
1: So I suppose it's not a surprise that that a lot of companies feel most comfortable applying for funding where they are single, uh, what we call single beneficiaries or single um, single applicant, and those tend to be uh, most oversubscribed. And the uh, good example here is the EIC accelerator or the formerly known as SME instrument, Mm -hmm. where through the years, because we have to bear in mind Horizon 2020 has been running for seven years now. um, And with with, uh, obviously with increased awareness uh, has become more and more competitive especially through the um, attractive funding criteria, which I spoke about, so that the success rate there is now, has deteriorated over the years and is now uh, below 1%. Wow.
0: Um,
1: So that is extremely, extremely competitive. On the other hand, there are some uh, type of uh, other funds that perhaps are more uh, specific to certain industries or certain technologies. Where um, the funding uh, success rate can uh, be as as high as twenty percent, so okay. it really depends on the on the single uh, funding opportunity that you are targeting.
0: Yeah, and just just to sort of come back to that EIC Accelerator program, as you said, it was formerly known as the SME Instrument. What type of companies? Is that most suitable for? Is it the very innovative, disruptive types, startup, scale up, or SME, or what type of companies is that aimed at?
1: Yes, absolutely. So the EIC Accelerator is um, an ambition by, by the European Commission to identify and finance the most promising companies and technologies. So looking at uh, maximum impact. So they are definitely looking at companies that are able to grow quickly, that are able uh, to create a lot of economic impact in Europe. So that means creation of jobs, that means uh, contribution to uh, GDP, that are, you know, born global, that have a global outlook, That uh, are extremely ambitious and uh, this is usually then based on a breakthrough uh, or radical disruptive innovation proposition, which can be in any sector, so it's completely uh, bottom up and to put this in the Irish context so um, if, if you're a startup looking to perhaps apply for this particular instrument uh, you would be at least post H- HPSU company um, and I would say even if you are a HPSU a high potential startup and have that designation and have raised successfully finance from the private sector etc It does not necessarily uh, make you uh, uh, automatically a a good candidate for EIC because um, the the threshold for innovation is is so high because you are competing with the best of Europe uh, from every country in Europe. Um, and Israel. So um, it is ultra, ultra competitive and and really just the top 10% find themselves uh, successful at this funding.
0: Yeah. And I know, for example, that you have worked with companies who have applied a number of times, maybe three and four times through the EIC um, accelerator program. And, And I'm just wondering, you know, what sort of turns an unsuccessful application into a successful one, maybe after the third or fourth application?
1: There there is, I suppose, uh, an honest answer would be that there can be an element of luck. And the reason uh, being that there can be an element of luck is that the application gets reviewed by um, four different evaluators. Who each obviously bring their own opinions or, or uh, uh, into the um, evaluation process and, and may have investment background, may have scientific background, may have industry background, and obviously will be influenced by those backgrounds and experience uh, the personal, uh, on a personal level. But what is really, really important is even if you have a really exciting um, innovation and really exciting uh, technology, to bear in mind some key things, which are that your evaluator may not be a native English speaker, so that you have to be uh, very clear in how you communicate the key messages of your business proposition also the uh, proposal is not just about the technology or the innovation it is about the business side of things so you have to show a very solid business plan so it is not just about showing that your technology is better than anybody else's technology if this is not married with you know the knowledge of the market the knowledge of the customer the, the, the an operational execution implementation plan of of the actions and so on uh, all parts are equally important so it's not just the technology so so language is important clear communication is important and storytelling because as i said these proposals are evaluated by people uh, people react to um, storytelling. So the, the story of the technology, the story of the business uh, has to be clear and has to be uh, attention grabbing. because as I say, it's a very competitive landscape and you are competing for the attention and you are you know you have to capture their imagination. You have to be able to excite with your innovation and, and and clearly portray the the impact, the potential, the opportunities that your 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 business will result in, and this is a fine art.
0: Sure, and I'm just also thinking. I, I presume the you can get access to the evaluator's feedback from say after your first application, and presumably that would help then with, with a follow-up application. Is that the way it works?
1: The answer here is yes and no. You do get uh, what they call an ESR sheet, uh, sorry, evaluation score sheet uh, re- report, sorry, um, that gives some indication of uh, where the evaluators felt that you, know, you might improve things. But these are numerical scores, so there is no qualitative uh, feedback. So it is perhaps hard to pinpoint um, uh, exactly what what the deficiency may be. Also bearing in mind that the ESR is an aggregation of the four uh, evaluators so it's an average score, so um, it it can be that one person's scored a bit lower and another a bit higher and you get the middle, you get to see the the number in the middle. So it is not an exact science unfortunately to determine and sometimes it's just a numbers game, sometimes it's just a case that they have received for example 50 really high quality proposals but they can only fund 25 and it comes down to a fraction of a fraction of a point in terms of scoring and you know somebody's perception about you know what they have read. So as I said there is a slight element of luck and there is and art in trying to figure out what might be improved upon uh, next uh, submission to be invited to pitch and this is I suppose a source of a lot lot of frustration and heartache but uh, the companies that score above the threshold uh, which is uh, 13 out of 15 uh, points do receive um, a seal of excellence which is meant to help them um, achieve funding perhaps in some other area or from some other source but it's a testament to the high quality of proposal.
0: So it's a mixture of art and science.
1: A little bit, so yes. (laughs) (laughs) So listen,
0: just moving on to some of the other uh, sources of funding. One of the other sources of funding is called Cascade Funding. I love the names the EU come up with. What is Cascade Funding?
1: So essentially, uh, under Horizon 2020, there are types of actions which are called coordination and support actions which consortia can apply for to run specific acceleration programs or to run specific funding programs around a chosen industry, a chosen technology or a chosen challenge. So there is a lot of these type of projects around. So the reason is Cascade funding is that Horizon 2020 gives funding to this uh, consortia who then in turn launch open calls to invite startups and SMEs to apply for this funding. So it's indirect, it's not directly from the European Commission. There is an intermediary at play and that's why it's Cascade. I would say this is a very, very good uh, area of funding opportunities, um, which can also range from a few thousand euros to uh, several hundred thousand. It is usually also non-equity um and um the nice uh, I suppose aspect of it that it often encourages um uh, lower tieral stages it encourages prototyping experimentation demonstration um so it gives a little bit uh, more room um outside the high end of innovation it it can look at at uh, more incremental innovation it could look at shorter projects. So EIC funding and some other funding are typically for projects lasting, you know, two to three years, whereas Cascade funding is typically for projects that are, you know, a few months in duration. So this this can also be a very attractive element for companies who are looking at a shorter term project.
0: So it sounds that the Cascade funding is suitable for a wider range of companies, you know, maybe startups, that are still developing the concept and might be still a little bit away from the market and and startups that maybe need to validate what they're doing a bit further is, is am i right in saying that
1: yes so what is uh, i suppose key about this type of funding is is the approach to risk so this type of funding has much more of a risk taker approach in terms of the uh, sort of expectations that are laid on, on on the companies applying. So the thresholds for eligibility are uh, not that demanding or specific. So, you know, in some grants, as, as many companies will know, you have to supply a lot of documentation and you know go a long way to to proving that you have the financial and operational capacity for taking on the grant and it's what we call cash for receipts you know you spend money first and then you get the grant whereas this is much more of a risk-taker approach often you get uh, at least a portion of the funds in advance Before you commence your your project, Uh, and and this is hugely uh, beneficial to companies who might uh, struggle with the traditional model of of grant funding.
0: Yeah, really good to get the money up front, or at least a portion of it. Just moving on again, another source of funding which has become popular recently uh, is the funding available through the EIT programs. EIT being the European Institute of Innovation and Health. Can you tell us about that source of funding and how that's broken up? And that's outside of Horizon 2020, I think. Am I right in saying that?
1: Yes. So the calls are not run uh, uh, through the same systems or are not run in the same manners. They're very uh, enterprise-orientated, the, the funding calls that they do have, and very also startup. Um orientated. so in in general, um, and this is kind of again, rule of the thumb that things vary from each of the eight areas that they cover. But as a rule of thumb, that there will be uh, something for uh, early startups and there will be something for um, scale ups in terms of funding. And this is usually a, a mixture of grant uh, non-equity funding and equity opportunities. So uh, specific investor uh, opportunities and acceleration programs. Nevertheless, it's an important, I would say, call it a complementary source um, of uh, funding that is not perhaps as well understood or as well, um, you know, companies don't tap into it as much as, you know, that there's potential, especially in Ireland, because just the profile of of this type of funding is not um, as, as, as widely known. But um, nevertheless, there is good understanding, I suppose, of the EIT health area at, here in in west of Ireland because there is representation, direct representation in Ireland of this EIT kick. Um, and indeed, we know in a lot of companies that have participated in the competitive grant fund, uh, funds for med tech and health um, related companies, but there's also opportunities in uh, climate action, uh, sustainable energy, manufacturing, uh, digital um, type um, innovation, raw materials, uh, food, also a very significant uh, sector here, and um, urban mobility. So these are all options to to apply for various funding, Um, so I would encourage companies to um, look into this area as well.
0: Very good. So, finally, Helena, I know there are some similar funding options available in Ireland. An example being be maybe Enterprise Ireland's Disruptive Technology Innovation Fund called DTIF for short. How does this work? And is that similar to some of the European uh, funding options that we've just discussed?
1: Um, yes, um, indeed, there, there are similarities, I suppose that you know each company needs to be aware of the scale of funding that they need. They need to be aware of uh, the type of technology or innovation they are trying to um, develop and whether that lends itself better to uh, some of the locally available funds, such as you know the agile innovation fund, for example, is also an R&;D mm-hmm. fund uh, provided by Enterprise Ireland or, again, whether a collaborative approach is required. So I say if you don't have all the skills in-house, if you don't have access to certain type of infrastructure or or, or capability in-house, that in some cases might be satisfied by um, collaborating with academia, in case which you can look at innovation partnership, for example, or whether you're looking at a truly large scale ambitious project, in which case you you might have to look outside of Ireland, even if the col- the nature of collaboration calls for perhaps a, a wider set of uh, specialists, very sp- some of these uh, projects or um, developments can be very specialist. So sometimes it's necessary to look outside of Ireland for for collaboration. Now, I would just like to mention that the R&D-funded Enterprise Ireland Runs can be used as a single applicant vehicle, but can also be used for uh, European collaboration via the Eureka Eurostars program. So, um, there is, uh, I should say, also an in-between option. And, and, you know, which could be also a starter option if, um, if a company hasn't collaborated on, on a significant uh, scale uh, internationally. It may be a bit difficult locating the right partners and, and, and intimidating or operationally difficult even to, to um, go from, you know, never having collaborated before to large scale European Collaboration, so there are in between um, options, and yeah. um, and also I would say Enterprise Ireland and also Enterprise Europe Network are uh, great facilitators in finding opportunities to collaborate and finding partners.
0: Of course, you can you can apply for some of the Irish uh, fundings uh, funding opportunities and combine them with European opportunities as well.
1: Important to understand, I suppose, in the world of funding is the the minimus uh, rule, and um, you know, and understand that your previous record of uh, funding, or um, in R and D or other areas, can impact what you can apply for. But um, luckily, a lot of these European opportunities do not impinge on on uh, on that rule, um, on the state aid rules and uh mean that these funds regularly can be used in a compl- complementary way so they're not competing and they do not impeach on eligibility so we indeed know many companies as you mentioned that have availed of the disruptive technologies innovation fund and would also have gone on then to collaborate also um uh, in, in europe uh, and 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 bring the perhaps the same or similar technology um, in you know further uh, towards commercialization. Okay,
0: so I think we leave it at that Helenna Thanks for that snapshot of the fairly complex world of EU funding uh, for startups, scale-ups and SMEs. Um, and that's all today from the West Podcast. and please do join us in the future for further podcasts and please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you and bye bye.
1: Thank you.